All right, now, if you would, turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. I've titled the message tonight, Christ the Sovereign Savior. I want us to see tonight how that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners, He's sovereign in this creation. He's sovereign over everything that moves, that thinks, that wriggles in God's universe. God is sovereign over it. Now that's good doctrine, isn't it? It's good doctrine because it's true. It tells the truth about who God is. God is sovereign. Now you just can't take that too far. God's sovereign. Everything that happens, happens because of his will. But if we're going to rightly divide the word of truth, we've got to preach this in such a way that God's people find assurance of salvation and they find comfort for their heart because our Savior is sovereign. It's the only comfort that God's sinful people can have. Our Savior is sovereign. Now, since God is sovereign over everything, that means nothing. Nothing in me, nothing outside of me. Nothing done by me, nothing done to me. Nothing can make me lose my salvation that God purposed for me and he purchased for me. Let's see if we don't see that in our text. We'll read down through here and make a few comments as we go. Genesis 41, verse 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kine came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river, And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh awoke, and he slept and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Now Pharaoh knew these dreams meant something. And he was troubled because he didn't know what they meant. So he called for the magicians. He called for the wise men. Maybe they were astrologers or something. They're supposed to be able to tell Pharaoh that all the, the secret things, you know, that happen. They couldn't tell him what the dreams meant either. And here's the picture. Man has fallen in sin. And we have some idea that sin is bad. We've got some idea. Now, we don't know the, the full depths of it, how, how, how horrible the, the, our sin is. But we have some idea that it's bad. And we also don't have any idea how to fix the problem. We don't have any idea how how we can go about making God not angry with us because of our sin anymore. And here's what men by nature do when they realize that they know something's wrong here. They call the magicians. They call these false prophets who are supposed to be able to tell them these things. They're supposed to be able to tell them these spiritual truths from the word of God. But they can't tell you how to put sin away because they don't know either. It's like what Brother Henry said so often. You can't tell what you don't know anymore. You come back from where you hadn't been. I mean, they just don't know. Well, thankfully, there's somebody that can tell us. 
how it is God saves sinners. There's somebody can tell us what the message of God means. Verse 9. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward and the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dreams. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man according to his dream he did interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored unto mine office and him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment, and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee, that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood on the bank of the river, And behold, there came up out of the river seven kind, fat-fleshed and well-favored, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them, poor and very ill-favored and lean-fleshed, such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness. Now here's something we didn't get before. And the lean and the ill-favored kind did eat up the first seven fat kind, and when they'd eaten them up, it could not be known that they'd eaten them. But they were still ill-favored, as at the beginning. So I awoke, and I saw in my dream, and behold, seven ears came up in one stalk, full and good. And behold, the seven ears, uh, and behold, seven ears, withered and thin, and blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. And the thin ears devoured the seven good ears. And I told this unto the magicians, but there was none that could declare it unto me. Now these thin cows... They ate up the fat cows, but they're still thin. You think if the thin cow ate the fat cow, it'd at least be as big as the fat cow would start with, wouldn't you? But you couldn't tell they'd eaten a thing. They were just as thin as they were before. Now, I'll tell you why I think this got Pharaoh's, this dream got Pharaoh's attention. To the Egyptians, cows represented fertility and life, and the corn represents food that sustained life. This dream is telling somebody death is coming. Death is coming. And Pharaoh's dream tells us what happened to Adam and what happened to us in Adam when Adam sinned. Adam was created upright. He had life. He had spiritual life. And when he sinned against God, he lost that life. He died just like God said he would. He still lived, or we were talking about that earlier, 900 years physically but he immediately died spiritually. And when Adam died, every last one of us died in him. The only nature Adam had to pass on to us was his dead spiritual nature. I sometimes think about Adam. I mean, this man, he had to be an Adonis. I mean, this man was made by the fingers of God out of the dust of the earth I mean, he had to be something else, don't you reckon? I mean, what a man he must have been. Mentally, he was brilliant. Physically, he had to just be absolutely something else. I mean, to live 900 years. 
I mean, he's, it's man, something else. Look at us now. You can't tell from looking at you and me that anybody in our race ever had spiritual life. You can't tell it at all, can you? That's the, what happened. Those thin cows ate the fat ones. And you couldn't tell they, they were just as thin as before. That's us. You can't tell anybody in our race ever had any, any life. That's how completely we lost spiritual life in Adam. All right, read on verse 25. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good kind are seven years. And the seven good years are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten. The famine will be so awful, all the years of plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following. For it shall be very grievous. Now we looked at this Sunday, how Joseph is a picture of Christ the revealer. Joseph reveals the meaning of dreams. Joseph, by interpreting those dreams, can tell us what's going to happen at some time in the future. Christ is the one who does it. Christ is the one who, he doesn't just foretell the future like he knows what, he tells the future because he's the one doing it. What, what comes to pass is his will. Christ is the one that reveals to us our need. He reveals to us how sinful we are. He reveals to us how we need a savior. And he reveals to us how it is that God saves sinners. It's in him. And then he goes and does it. He goes and accomplishes it for his people. See, all these answers, all the answers to every spiritual question and every spiritual need can only be found in Christ. Righteousness and holiness, it's only in Christ. The forgiveness of our sin, peace with God, it can only be in Christ. Eternal life, acceptance with the Father can only be in Christ. It's all in Christ. In Christ, now I see what righteousness really is. Now I see how God forgives sin. Now I see. Well, verse 32, Joseph goes on. He says, and for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now God has purpose. And God's purpose, you know, I know God does everything that's happening in this world all at once, but it's all working together for one purpose. This is God's purpose. To save his people by the obedience and by the sacrifice of his son. To save his people in such a way that his son gets all the glory. That's God's purpose. And it's sure and certain. It's doubly sure because of the obedience of, the, of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. It's doubly sure. He's already accomplished it. Christ has already accomplished the purpose of God. All that's left for him to do is call out the people that he saved. That's all. 
That's all the rest of human history is. It's God calling out to people that Christ suffered and died for. Now, remember I told you, if we're going to rightly divide the word of truth, God's people are going to have to get some comfort and assurance from this thing, God's sovereignty. Well, here it is. If Almighty God has purposed to save you, if that's his purpose, then absolutely nothing can stop God from saving you. Nothing can stop God from keeping you. Nothing can stop God from glorifying you together with Christ. Nothing can. Because the will of God is sure. It's sure. Now, that's an introduction. That, that tells us what's, what's happened here. Now I want to give you five points on Christ our sovereign Savior that I hope will give you assurance of salvation, will comfort your hearts and draw you to Christ. Number one is this. Christ our Savior is the wonderful counselor. Look at verse 33. Now, now you just stop and think about this. I've been thinking about this all week. Here this morning, Joseph started out in the dungeon. I mean, in the dungeon. How long has he been there? I mean, I have no idea. More than two years, I know that. And just in the blink of an eye, here he is standing in front of Pharaoh. I mean, this guy, he's not afraid of Pharaoh. He's not so impressed. I mean, he just tells Pharaoh like it is. I mean, that just really amazes me. He is not intimidated by Pharaoh in the least. Verse 33 says, Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man, discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that come, and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. Now, not only did Joseph know what was coming, nobody else knew what was coming. Joseph did. Nobody else knew what to do about it either. <laughs> but Joseph did. Joseph did. Now, that's such a good picture of Christ our Savior. You know why he knows what's coming? Because he's the one that has determined everything that will happen in the future. He, he knows what, it's not that he's a fortune teller, like he can look in the crystal ball to see what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen because he's decreed for it to happen. Everything. Our Savior knows the problems that are coming. And he knows what to do about them. Now I tell you, if you need answers, go to Christ. If you need answers, go to Christ. He's the wise, wonderful counselor. His very name is Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. If you've got questions, go to him. He's the Wonderful Counselor. And I tell you where you see this the most clearly is before time began, when only God existed. Now, God knew what was going to happen in the future because he determined to do it. God had determined that he was going to create man in the earth. And God knew that when he did, Adam would fall into sin. God knew he would do that. You know why God knew Adam was going to fall into sin? Because God determined for him to do it. 
That's the only possible explanation. Adam didn't do something against God's will. Adam fell because God determined for him to do that. And I know people say, whoa, 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 stop right there. That, that's making God the author of sin. I don't want to make God the author of sin. You don't ever have to worry about making God something. <laughs> he's not the author of sin because he's holy. God willed that Adam fall so that his son would be glorified in saving his people out of Adam's fallen race. God did that without being the author of sin because he's God. That's all we need to know about it. But it, I, I want to stress this point. That happened because God willed for it to happen. God knew the problem of sin that was coming. He knew. And only God knew what to do about it. So before there was ever a sinner, God in his wisdom provided a savior who would save his people from that were fallen in sin. What a wise, wonderful counselor. He provided a savior before a sinner ever fell and sinned against him. All right, number two, Christ our savior is the only one able to save. Verse 33. You know, I wonder when Joseph said all this, if he could, if he's thinking, well, I'm going to, I'm going to make this suggestion to Pharaoh and I'm hightailing at home. I mean, I don't know that, but I kind of wonder that, you know. Well, verse 37 says the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the spirit of God is? Can we find somebody else? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has showed thee all this, there is no, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Now, here's the picture. The father, remember, he knew his elect would be fallen into, into sin. He knew that his elect would need a savior, a savior who could save his people from their sin in justice. See, for God can show mercy to a sinner, justice must be satisfied. Can we find such a savior who can satisfy both God's justice and God's mercy at the same time? That's a question for the ages, isn't it? If you find the answer to that question, you found the answer to the gospel. If you find the answer to this question, how can God save sinners in justice and so that he can be merciful to them? If you find the answer to that question, you found Christ. He's the answer to it. The only one able to do such a job is the son of God. The father looked and he said, I can't find anybody like my son to go save my people from their sin. My son will be made flesh. He'll have my spirit in him. He'll be both God and man. As a man, he'll obey the law. He'll be made under the law. And as a man, he'll obey it. And he'll obey it perfectly because he's God. And then my son will be the perfect sacrifice for sin. See, he'll be a man so he can be the substitute for my sinful people. He'll be a man so he can be made sin for my, my people. He'll be able to take their sin in his own body because he's a real man. But he'll also be the sinless sacrifice because he's God. He'll have the power to put away sin because he's God. I mean, can't you just see the father with such love for his son saying, look at my son. There's none like him. He's the only one able to save my people from their sin. That's what the father said 
in eternity before creation. Look at my son. There's none like him. And now all these years later, Sean, that's a message we're still preaching today. Look at God's son. <laughs> Look to him. There's none like him. Look to Christ and be saved. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you look to Christ and you trust him, you must be saved. That's how glorious and wonderful and powerful and precious the Lord Jesus Christ is. If you look to him, you must be saved. You must be. Now I tell you one more time, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Come to Christ. This is such assurance and comfort for the hearts of God's people. If you trust Christ, as weak as your faith may be, as difficult as the journey through this life is, as much as you see your sin and you hate yourself for it, and you think, how can somebody be this way and still trust Christ? If you trust Christ, in spite of all of your weakness and all of your sin, if you trust Christ, you're trusting the only Savior able to save from sin. And I'm telling you, he'll do it. I go back to my first point. If his purpose is to save you, you're saved. You're saved because he saw to it. He saw to it that he would save you from your sin. That's his purpose. All right, number three, Christ our Savior is exalted above all. Verse 40, Pharaoh goes on to Joseph and he said, Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Now here in one day, Joseph went from the prison to the throne of the most powerful nation on earth. Do you know our Savior did the very same thing? In one day, he went from the cross. He went from being made sin. He went from suffering for sin, being made the sacrifice for sin. And in one day, he went to the throne of glory. Had to be. Because that's what he told the thief he'd do. Today, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. We're going from this cross to paradise and we'll be there together. Now, somebody might ask, well, I thought the Lord lay in the tomb for three days. How could he be on the throne if he's laying in the tomb for three days? Well, it's because our Savior is something you and I can't understand. He's omnipresent. That's just a great big word that means God's everywhere at once. Remember when the Savior, he was talking to those, those folks and he told them that while he's here on earth, he's also with the Father. Now he can say that because he's everywhere at once. Now don't you love that that's your Savior? While he's over here, saving and comforting and leading these people over here, he's also right here. Just because he's over here leading and taking care of these people and saving these people doesn't mean he's turned his back on you. He's right here too leading and guiding and keeping and saving his people. He's everywhere. His people can't be anywhere. He's not. I mean, you think what a savior we have to trust in. And Pharaoh said, now Joseph, he's on the throne, but he said, now Joseph, you're going to be over everything but me. 
He said, "You'll I'll, he, when he says here, you'll be only in the throne while I be greater than now, what he's meaning is, I'm going to do what you say, but now I reserve the veto right. I'm still, you know, the only one higher than you is me. Well, that's a picture of Christ. He's equal with the Father. He's equal because he is God. But for a time, he made himself subject to the Father so that he could work out the salvation of his people as a servant. Let me show you something about that. First Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15. And verse 24. Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. The father hath put all things under the feet of his son. But when he saith all things are put under him, it's manifest that he's accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him that God may be all and in all. Now, Joseph is a good picture of Christ. But I hope we always remember this. Christ is always so much better than the picture. You know, it's possible Joseph could have wanted to do something that was very wise, very good, would have been good for, for Egypt. And Pharaoh, he couldn't see the wisdom in it. He could have, he could, like I said, maybe he would have vetoed Joseph. And something bad would have been done instead of something good because Pharaoh reserved the right in the throne. He's higher than Joseph. That can never happen to our Savior. Never. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're equal. The Father is not subject to the Son, and the Son is not subject to the Father because they're equal. And as equals, they always have the same purpose. Now, they have different functions that they perform, but they have the same purpose. And their purpose is the salvation of God's elect, that they be saved in such a way that Christ be glorified. Now, here's some comfort for you. If the whole Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the whole Godhead is working together for your salvation... Joyce, you don't have any worries. <laughs> the Godhead has determined your salvation. What do you got to worry about? Nothing, not one blessed thing. And you know, the only manifestation, look back in our text, the only manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ that we'll ever see, or the, I'm sorry, the only manifestation of God we'll ever see is the Lord Jesus Christ. And i tell you how we'll see him. On the throne. Isn't that how John saw him? The lambs that had been slain in the midst of the throne. Look here, verse 41. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I've set thee over all the land of Egypt. That Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of everything. Does that sound familiar to you? Every boss Joseph ever had puts everything into Joseph's hand and forgets about it. 
I mean, Pharaoh's off schmoozing big donors and playing golf and going to parties and stuff because he doesn't have to worry about one thing happening in Egypt. He knows there's a famine coming, but he's not worried about it because Joseph's in charge. (laughs) Well, that's the father. That is how much he trusts his son. The father put all things, everything into the hand of his son so that the son is in charge of all of it. And the father is not wringing his hands and worried what's going to happen to my people. Is my son going to be able to get the job done? He has no worries about his purpose coming to pass because he trusts his son. He trusted his son from eternity. The father is the first one trusted in Christ. The father trusted his son to fulfill the covenant of grace. And that's exactly what the son's done. He's fulfilled it completely. Verse 42, Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand. And he arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Pharaoh took his royal ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. That's the king's ring. The ring that he would use to, to seal orders. This is the royal seal. That's the father. He's put all of his purpose of redemption into the hand of his son. Now, you know why the father did that? Because he knows the son won't fail. Now, doesn't that give you assurance of heart to trust Christ? The father knows he won't fail. Well, that gives me, that gives me such assurance in trusting him. Pharaoh put a change of, of clothes on Joseph and a royal outfit complete with jewelry. The father has clothed his son with honor and majesty. Now, that's not just a change of clothes, covering him with honor and majesty. That's his character. His character is honor and majesty. I mean, don't you see if this one with this character is your savior? You can't perish, can you? Verse 44, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I'm Pharaoh. And without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land. Or I'm verse 43. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. See, no one could do anything. Nobody could do anything without Joseph's permission. He's sovereign over everything. Well, that's Christ our Savior. He's sovereign over everything. Everything, everywhere. No one can do anything that's against the will of our Savior. No one. No one can do anything that will cause any of God's people to lose their salvation. See, it's his in it. It's his will that his people be saved. Then nobody can do something to cause them to lose their salvation. Our enemies can't. And you know what I find more comforting? I can't. I can't either. Our enemies, now, yes, they'll cause trial, trouble, and heartache. But when they do, you know what they're doing? 
They're accomplishing God's will. They're doing what God determined before to be to be done. They're just instruments in the hand of our God for good, for good and for our learning. Now, I grant you, we may never see that good. I know in every trial, in every situation, God's bringing good out of it. I know that. But we don't have a promise in Scripture we're always going to see it. But we'll see the good God, God brings out of it. But I promise you he will. Because God said he will. God may be pleased to deliver us from the dungeon and take us to the throne in one day too, just like he did for Joseph. God's still able. You know, we're in the midst of, of a trial. I say this to myself and you can listen in if you want. We'd be wise to spend a whole lot less time complaining and spend more time waiting to see and asking God to show us what the Lord's pleased to do in this. We really would. Because I promise you this, whatever it is that the Lord's pleased to do, nothing that he does is going to cause eternal harm to his people. Nothing. Here's the fourth thing. Everyone, everyone is going to bow to Christ the Sovereign. Verse 43 says, And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now Pharaoh ordered everybody, when you see, when you see Joseph coming, his fancy chariot, you stop right where you're at and you bow the knee. I wonder, this is the way I think, I wonder if Joseph is riding down the street one day in his chariot and he sees those slave traders that first sold him in the land of Egypt and he watched them bow. Maybe Joseph saw Potiphar, Potiphar's wife. Boy, they saw Joseph come. You know what Potiphar and his wife did? They bowed. They bowed the knee. Undoubtedly, one day, Joseph saw the butler who forgot him for two years. You want to know what that butler did when he saw Joseph? He hit the ground. That's what he did. Now, that might have been humbling for them, but that's what they did. They bowed to Joseph. I know you see the picture there. Hold your finger there a minute. Look over Philippians chapter 2. Here's the picture fulfilled. Philippians 2, verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now this is what we know. Everyone in creation, everyone who's ever lived, is going to bow the knee to King Jesus. Some will bow to Christ and they'll be humbled in judgment. When he says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Some will bow to Christ in such great joy. 
you who trust Christ, can you imagine what it must be like someday to be able to bow to our Savior face to face instead of by faith? Won't that be a day of joy to bow the knee? I tell you, I want to bow to him now, don't you? I want to. And here's the comfort and assurance for God's people. If everyone and everything bows to our Savior, what can happen that can make him lose one that he saved? Nothing. Not one blessed thing. And that brings me to the last point. Christ our Savior has a bride. Verse 45, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Pania, which means the revealer of secrets. And he gave to him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph went from the prison to the throne. He even got a wife. Well, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a people. He calls those people his bride. My love, my dove. They're the ones that the Father gave to him in divine election. Now I want you to think for a moment, what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? It means you're the first lady of the whole universe. He's the king of the universe. If you're the bride of Christ, you're the first lady. First lady of the universe. The bride of Christ is loved with an everlasting love by the sovereign potentate. The bride of Christ, she's given a new name. This is the name wherewith she shall be called. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. The bride of Christ is made a joint heir with Christ. You're the heir of everything. A joint heir with Christ. And the bride of Christ has been made part of his body. The body that he takes care of. He takes care of. Now, is that your savior? Is that your husband, your bridegroom? Then I ask you one more time, what do you have to fear? And what do you got to worry about? Not one blessed thing. See, the comfort and assurance of our salvation is never, ever, 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 ever found looking at ourselves, looking at our faith, looking at how well we've done. You're just going to be depressed and discouraged and and certain God's going to send you to hell if you're looking at yourself. The comfort and assurance of our salvation is always found looking to Christ, looking to who he is. If God will help us to do that, we'll have comfort, won't we? All right, let's bow together.